My guest today is Sergey Gorbanov. He's the CEO of Axelar, and we're here at Interrupt Summit in Denver. We're, uh, Axelar announced Axelar VM here at the event this week, and so we're going to learn more about that, understanding what it is and how it can help developers build better cross-chain applications. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on the Interrupt is investment advice. My guest, Sergey, coming up next, right here on the Hello, how you doing? Hey, good, how are you? Yeah, thanks, for, uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah. In this very special kind of live setup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's it's always weird to be away from my home studio, so I uh, hope this works, and uh, it looks like we already have people in the live stream, so uh, congratulations on this event. Awesome. Yeah, it's, no, thank it's you. It's really impressive. Um, a lot of people have been asking, though, if we've been organizing the event, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, the, the naming collision is kind of funny, but um, yeah, we I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, there was like good quality people here, and what was really interesting is that like it, it really feels like being here, everything that you know, I believe as, as far as like the multi-chain future and the interchain is, is really sort of coming together at this event. And the narrative that the event is uh, is really pushing forward it sort of aligns with that. Um, what were some of the big highlights for you? Yeah, so I, I think for me, it's been actually really surprising to see all the different ecosystems come together yeah. and talk about interoperable future, right? So I think over the last, you know, a few years of the last bull cycles, we always see a lot of talks from different layer ones, different software stacks, you know, like this stack is best, this stack is best, and so on and so forth. And we should continue innovating on those things. There's still a lot of work to be discovered. But I think understanding the, the problems that the developers in the industry has towards the, or right now that everything is super fragmented, yeah. that actually creates a lot of friction for the developers. It creates a lot of friction for the users. And we as an ecosystem, if we want to scale, like that has to be solved. Right? Yeah. And that's, that was really like the core objective of this conference is to get everybody together and say, look, like, you know, we can talk about the same, you know, a thousand developers being shuffled from one ecosystem to the other, but at the end of the day, our job is to grow, right? And, and, and uh, you know, show to the people the power of the technology behind um, blockchains. Um, and that means actually working together on um, some common problems. What were some of the big trends that were discussed here at the event? Yeah, so a lot of the talks been around um, kind of a basically how do users interact with different, different blockchains, right? Yeah. So, you know, just now we had a, panel um, across different layer twos, right? And uh, in there, the question is, well, you have, you know, ETH you're using as a, as a token across all of these different uh, layer twos to power gas, but what does it mean for the user? You just still have to like bridge that ETH from the main chain to like your layer two, right? Uh, kind of a flip the, the wallet switches and things like that. So I think a lot of the talks about how do we abstract away the user complexity? So there are things like account abstractions that, yep. you know, a lot of developers are, are talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of build a better applications using those primitives. Yeah, I, I think account abstraction is is a really interesting primitive that is really needed. And yeah. you know, there's been some amount of account abstraction through wallets like like um, uh, Argent, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the last couple of years. But I mean, these were just really the the beginnings, I think, of what account abstraction can be. Right. You know, I, I feel like with account abstraction, the idea is. The, the, the outcome is really interesting where you essentially sort of you can tokenize 
an account, mm. right? You, you, can, you can turn an account into sort of a, a, a non-fungible asset that can be transferred. It can be, you know, uh, you, you could be sold, right? Like you could have a company that holds assets and that, that, that those, those accounts would hold several assets and they'd be sold to someone else. Like how do you see account abstraction really, you know, sort of turning on its head the idea of the wallet and like this thing where you have a private key, secure that private key and then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're probably still going to have some notion of a, you know, private key somewhere, right? Because that's that's what gives you the ownership, right? Yeah. Of any type of, of identity that you have in a blockchain. Um, but I think the the point is that how do you go back and interact across all of these different chains, right? Like, do you pay gas in multiple currencies, right? How do you interact with one ecosystem versus the other? And so um, I, view, I view account abstraction as a server, uh, a step forward for the users at the end of the day, right? Do you think that in the end, doesn't it also diminish the um the importance or the so some of the security uh assumptions we have around keys because with account abstraction you could essentially have like as a user just as a basic like as an individual right you have an, an account you could have you know several keys sort of in a sort of personal multi-sig managing this account and so therefore the individual security of any one of those keys and like storing the seed phrase and like it sort of diminishes the importance of you know, key security, not that key security is not important, but like you can sort of spread that risk across different keys in a way that's not necessarily possible now. Yeah, so no, for sure, right? Like I actually view that the kind of security policy around accounts is something we still have to innovate around yeah. a lot and a lot, right? So for instance, you go to, you know, you go to your bank account, okay, maybe you set it up. There's all kinds of security policies that authorize certain number of transactions that you do, right? Certain volume of transactions that you do per day or per week, right? If your account gets compromised, there are various ways to recover it, right? So we don't have any of that in the blockchain. There's one wallet, you know, you lost it, you're kind of done, right? Uh, and so by yeah, effectively programming a lot of security and access control policies yeah. in those accounts, we can create something that's uniformly used by the user across all the different ecosystems, gives them better security, but also gives them recovery if things go wrong, right? And that recovery could be because you set up your own, like, you know, multi-sig or uh, kind of key splitting. It could be because you collaborate with some entity that maybe is providing, like, a, you know, backup recovery if you don't touch your wallet for, like, a month, right, in, in an emergency situation. Yeah. So, you, so you can actually code very interesting, like, policies around those things now. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I, I think that in the next cycle, you know, the next three or four years, like, account abstractions is going to, I mean, for one, I think it makes uh, asset custody just so much easier for users, right? right. I mean, you, the, the opportunity to build really interesting sort of things like this, right, where you actually abstract the account away from recovery and ownership and like these sorts of models will just create really unique and interesting products for users, for, for companies, for like any type of, um, yeah, any type of person or a company that wants to interact with crypto. They're going to have products that are going to enable them to do that depending on the use case, you know, the amount of assets you know, the, the the value of those assets etc adjusting for risk so yeah i'm pretty bullish on, on that uh for sure on, on that whole front um yeah so we last spoke in in september uh, uh lots has happened since then so maybe just giving a brief update on like where axlar is at today and you know not you know all, obviously like you've announced uh, the vm uh, yeah. here this week but um since uh since september yeah, I mean, high level, you know, last year the network has gone live with uh, connections with all kinds of different chains, right? So we're connected over 32 networks throughout the stack, everything from a lot of EVM chains, a lot of Cosmos chains, they're all interoperable. You can send messages back and forth. You can send assets back and forth. You know, we processed, uh, you know, over 1.8 billion and kind of cross-chain uh, cross volume, like hundreds of thousands of requests have been served. And uh, we are 
working with a lot of developers to think about how to build interchain native applications, right? So leveraging things like account abstraction, leveraging things like you can pay, you know, on one chain uh, or submit a transaction, one chain still executed across multiple different systems. So I think as we've been building, I think we're discovering that there's a lot of infrastructure pieces that are missing, right? It's not just about, you know, interoperability protocol that you use underneath it, but it's actually the whole interoperability stack that needs to be built, right? Yeah. And so the last, you know, six months in particular, we spent time both thinking of the network layer, what has to happen, but also what are different services around the network that need to be instantiated to enable experiences like we talk about uh, here and simplify the developer build-outs uh, across multiple ecosystems. This is something where we've seen a lot of problems where as a developer, you know, first you got to pick chains, right? This is like a hard problem on its own. Yeah. And then you think about how do you actually build on, the, on all of those chains? How do you deploy your contracts? How do you manage them uh, across all of those environments? So still a lot of fragmentation, still a lot of kind of complexity that has to be abstracted. Like what, what, is, the, what is the most important uh, thing that needs to be abstracted if it's not account abstraction? And what are some of the pieces of the puzzle that still have to get built in order for the developer experience to be, get better and yeah, I mean the f the first one, which is you know pretty elementary and it's getting solved right now, but the notion of having like interchain native tokens, right? So right now a lot of the tokens, you know, you're issuing them one chain, then you maybe you pass it through one bridge, maybe another bridge. You get like wrapped versions of different chains. Users are just completely, you know, fed up with all that experiences, yeah. right? So. Um, you know, through the Axler stack, we'll build things like interchain tokens where you can just go and deploy a token. It's available across multiple chains right away. It has, you know, mint and, uh, mint and burn functions, which are kind of a pretty secure. You can have all kinds of additional security uh, checks on top of it and really have like a uniform token that has one representation. You don't need to wrap it into any other formats. It can be displayed very easily in the wallet and then you can like sum up the balances, right, of all the different uh, chains that the user has this token on and just just play like one number. Yeah. So I think that's like as a building block something, um, you know, we've seen um, kind of a lot of demand for and we, we try to automate a lot of it. Is the idea here, because we talked about this last time, we talked about the fungibility right. you know, problem with bridging. Is the idea here that tokens would be instantiated or like they would be deployed on Axelar and then Axelar offers the security guarantees to then deploy them on other chains? Like it, it sort of initiates on XLR? Yeah, so the token is not actually deployed on XLR. We think of XLR as kind of connectivity tissue, but XLR will allow you to instantiate and deploy that token across any other chain that you want. And okay. XLR will connect them all together. So they, right. func they function as one. So you okay. can think of it as like, you know, you know like ERC20 format, right? It's yeah. pretty simple. There's like a transfer function and a couple others. And uh, we extend it with a couple more functions that allow that token to be chain agnostic, right? So you can send it around. So, what, so practically speaking, let's say I'm, yeah. I'm launching an application. I have, you know, I want to have my token on Ethereum right. and in the IBC ecosystem, right. and maybe on Solana. Right. I I deploy. I mean, like, there's like a there's a, an instantiation event that happens on Axelar. Those those tokens would be native tokens on each of those chains. That's right. Um, and then Axelar acts as the. I mean, they, they sort of ensure fungibility between them, exactly. such that you don't need to have a wrapped token. Exactly. Okay, that's really interesting. And you can extend that, right? Like, so today you deployed it on, you know, five chains, and tomorrow you want to have access to five other chains. You can extend that without, again, creating this additional fragmentation, right? So they will still function as one, so you can expand and shrink them as you want. Okay. And so as you're moving tokens between, say, chain A to chain B, Axelar is, ask, is, is acting there as, you know, the... I mean, essentially sort of burning that token on the Axelar layer and ensuring that over on chain B, it... it, it 
it, it gets minted in the same way that say like IBC works or something like that. Yeah, so the token still kind of gets burned and minted on the edges, right, on the chains that will connect, but the Axel uses the attestation layer, right, or ver verification. So, right. you know, you send your token on that, what we call is like a gateway, right, on the source chain, yeah. and Axel will verify that it's been correctly burned okay. and then authorize, message. authorize the corresponding action on the destination chain. So it's all just message passing. It's all just message passing. Oh, yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, so how do you how do you think about stuff like you because know, obviously where this starts becoming com complex is when you have multiple standards. So right. in, in Cosmos and Ethereum, for instance, and right. these two ecosystems that I'm pretty plugged into, you know, they've mirrored each other's ERC twenty to right. ICS twenty right. and the seven twenty one and over on, on both chains. Other chains are going to have I'm not like super plugged into Solana, but I, you know, I imagine that that token standard is totally different, and so so for NFTs as well. Uh, do you guys do like you know standard compatibility between those chains so that the messages actually do get routed? And yeah, yeah, that's a great question. That's actually one of the core you know uh, services that the Axon Network provides. It's what we call as message translation, right? So uh, if you send a message from an IBC or Cosmos chain that it has its own Kind of a packet format. How do you then translate it in a packet that can be executed on EVM chain, right, yeah. or a move chain or something else? And so the network itself has all these translation properties at the core, so it does them like efficiently um, in a in a secure way. And uh, from a developer's perspective, then you don't have to think about those things, right? So you build, you know, in solidity, like using whatever. ERC20 standard you like, yeah. if your token needs to transfer or needs to go to a Cosmos chain, the Axel network will take care of it, right? So you don't have to think about it. And then on the Cosmos side, you receive it or some other user receives it. They interact with the way they like, right? Mm. Because it's encoded in the format that's accessible to that ecosystem. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that, that implies a lot of a lot of integrations. And, and, and also, you know, there, there may be token formats that, I mean, like NFTs and, and sort of regular tokens are, yeah. You know, pretty standard, but like some chain might think. I don't think about Regen, for example. Yeah, like Regen yeah. has a token standard that they you know issue their carbon credits with. I yeah. think probably there's something equivalent on Ethereum. Yeah, maybe Solana doesn't have that sort of thing, yeah. right? Like, so how does that? So then, when you're deploying, say you allow that deployment, you know, as a as a as a developer, I just wouldn't be able to deploy it on Solana, or would you, you know, also encourage sort of building you know, those token standards in other ecosystems so that we have better standardization? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, that's exactly, you know, kind of back to the point why we, we announced kind of the launch of the Axler Virtual Machine, right? Just to enable developers to kind of customize and extend, you know, things we can do or other teams can do around the Axler stack, right? So if there's a certain chain that has a different format, um, all you need to do is kind of write certain translators to that chain, and then automatically they will be able to kind of speak with a language that's familiar to all the other chains, okay. right? So Axel can can use as a as a uniform kind of translator language, almost like a Google Translate, right? Like you put one language on one side, um, you can translate it to the other language that needs to be sent to to the other chain. Um, so we'll do some work, of course, around standardization, right, and helping uh, the standards spread. But with the Axel virtual machine going forward, developers will be able to to do that themselves. Okay, well let's let's talk about it. Let's let's get into this Axler VM. So there's two parts to it. There's the amplifier and the maestro. So yeah, let's break that down. Yeah, so those are what we call as like services that we want to launch with, um, you know, as the as the VM goes live. And the basic problems that we're trying to do to solve with it a kind of the need for connectivity across different stacks, right? So you know, right now a lot of connections are done at the network layer. 
So there's validators kind of registered to, to vote on events from certain chains, then certain routing packets are being enabled, and then you can send packets back and forth across them. How do you extend that to support more and more ecosystems? And um, you know, previously you would have to write like a module on the network layer, upgrade every validator. It, um, you know, it's a pretty pretty delicate process, right? Yeah. And so with the Axel virtual machine, effectively you'll be able to code those connections yourself and make them still interoperable with you know with the rest of the Axler stack, right? So um, suppose you know there's a connection to like a Solana that you want to build, and maybe that connection actually leverages different technologies like zero knowledge proofs or light clients, you can plug them in, right? But at the cost of making one connection to the Axel network, you get to route your packets to all the other ecosystems that have been interconnected through the stack. Okay. Right? So that's what the, the job of an amplifier is effectively, you know, help you amplify the work that you could do as a developer to build a connection to make sure it's not a one-off connection between A and B, but it's really one to end connection where one connection can access and different ecosystems. Okay. Can you give me like a practical example of how like an application would use this? Because yeah, it's not fully, you know, I don't have the full mental model. Yeah. So yet. this is not a, for applications, but this is more for like core protocol developers that are building layer ones or layer twos. Okay. Right. So as an example, you're building your own chain. Yeah. Okay. Based on whatever Rust language and some fancy consensus optimization logic. Yeah. You want, as you go to market, you want to have connectivity with other ecosystems. You want to right. make sure that developers and users can bring liquidity over, bring stable coins and things like that, right? So, you know, how would you do that? Um, you effectively want to build a connection. And so you can go and then instantiate this connection with the Axel network to make sure that as you go to market, right, as you keep on building your stack, information in and out of your network can continue propagating, right? So this is a kind of a service that's not something like a DAP developer would use, but, um, you know, kind of consensus or protocol developer. Like a layer leverage. one. Like, layer a, one, like an app chain or exactly. a roll-up. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. Just realized we're on the right, on the wrong mic setting, but that should be fine. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, sorry. Right back on normal. There. All right. Um, okay. So as an application developer, or I mean, as an app chain developer, uh, or roll up. I mean, like th this is where it gets complicated because I mean, like an application is, you know, a settlement layer and potentially mm -hmm. all the way down to right. consensus, right? So, like, sure. You're, you're, what you're saying is this is not for smart contract developers, but like applications that are building as a sovereign execution environment or settlement layer. Yeah, or or if you're just building, you know, your own layer one or layer two, right, or a roll up layer. Like a lot of them are actually, you know, some of them are application specific, but some of them are general purpose, right? Yeah. So we have, you know, ZK syncs, we have optimism, we have, you know, Arbitrum, all of them are, you know, layer twos that are general purpose and they still want to have connectivity, right? And so how do we allow them to do that in an easy and efficient way? And so that's what the the kind of the, the job of an amplifier is on the network effectively. Okay. And so then, effectively, so let's say I'm, I'm building my layer one. I don't know. It's like a, some DeFi yeah. layer one, right? Yeah. Like as a Cosmos app chain, uh, I want to be able to leverage liquidity from other ecosystems. Right. I would use the amplifier to deploy my you know, a, a contract that would allow other chains to interact That's with right. my my application. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, with, with all of your applications right so kind of a, right now the way the connections are established across different chains is we, we deploy this notion what we call as a gateway right gateway is a smart contract you can yeah. think of it as a router and so information as it goes to one chain it goes through this router right yeah. and so in the same way you build in a new layer one you can deploy one of these gateways on it you can deploy you know corresponding gateway on the axle network 
that establishes a connection between your chain and Axel network. But because Axel is sort of a hub, it has many other connections. Once you go through some governance process, then your packets can be routed to any of those chains. Okay. And like, does, does this, is, is this similar to this notion of outposts that a lot of chains in the cosmos ecosystem has, have been talking about? I mean, essentially it's sort of building outposts on, on other chains, right? Like, uh, I guess I'm not quite sure. What is an outpost? Well, an outpost is like sort of, so Mars, for example, yeah. they have this notion of outposts where like Mars orchestrates uh, message passing between, I think they do, I mean, they between contracts that are deployed on, on different Cosmos chains. And they offer, I think they also have like a, like a liquidity backstop um, so that, you know, all of those different uh, sort of, you know, liquidity positions on other chains can, mm -hmm. can leverage in case there's like an issue or something like that. It, mm -hmm. it, is that the vision here or, or is, is, it, is it more than that? I mean, for the amplifier itself, kind of its core job is to make connections, right? And make yeah. sure those connections are as secure as possible. So at least, with, you know, what you described, um, I think it's, uh, it's sort of an application leveraging those connections, right? So like Mars is probably like relying on, you know, IBC or some other yeah, they rely on. Yeah, yeah. protocols. Um, and so, yeah, the question is when you don't have IBC available, right? Or other protocols, how do you, how do you instantiate the connection to begin with? Yeah. So I would say it's kind of a lower layer primitive at the networking layer, at least the sort of the, the amplifier and that, you know, my is slightly different. So there's a question I wanted to ask later, but I'm going to ask it now, which is, well, I mean, IBC is becoming more standard outside of, you know, the quote unquote cosmos ecosystem, right? So there are implementations of IBC uh, that are at least being built or maybe even deployed on Near and Solana and like Avalanche. Yeah. And then, you know, it's possible also with, with one slot finality to do, um, or at least in theory, I've been told it's possible to do one, uh, you know, IBC on Ethereum. Um, you know, what, what kind of role does, how does Axel's role evolve when, you know, there's essentially you know, pr pretty, pretty uh, widespread adoption of, of IBC or, you know, it could even be that like the entire EVM space has its own interoperability protocol. You know, Cosmos has IBC and you, know, you, you don't necessarily need to deploy on every Ethereum roll up because you can just do one and then, your tokens will be able to, to move and your messages will be able to pass without you know, uh, deploying on every single chain. Yeah, so I think there is a big difference between a pairwise protocol that connects A and B and utility of interoperability in the space, right? Okay. So kind of the way we view Axler is it's a service network, right? It provides various services. One of them is connectivity. You know, we can talk about like Amplifier, which is like helps you with uh, uh, interchain orchestration and management and services like that. And there are various services that need to be instantiated across the stack to make sure the applications can actually talk to one another, to make sure tokens can be deployed across the different environments and so on and so forth. So we think of Axler and like the network around it is really a full stack. Like there's a network component to it. You can instantiate connections to the Axler network any way you want. This is IBC, you can plug in IBC, right? If you don't have IBC, you can instantiate external validation. If you have zero knowledge proof, you can instantiate that, right? So um, we are kind of a protocol agnostic for pairwise A to B, and we're trying to think about what are the network services or services on top of the network that have to be built to actually then enable developers to interact across all of these different ecosystems, right? right? So, you know, one example across the VM chains, we talk about account abstraction, but today if you're using like any of the bridges, anything else, you have to have tokens on all the chains. You have to flip yeah. your wallet back and forth. The, the fungibility problem is not solved. Yeah. It, it's yeah. not just fungibility, but also like the wallet experiences. And the developers don't know how to build those types of um, you know wallets or account abstraction primitives. 
So how do you allow developers to submit transaction one chain that gets executed across five different EVM stacks today? Mm. Right? You, you can't do that, right? And so there is like a service on top of the network, like a gas service that we deploy that you can pay, you know, in the token on one chain, and then your transaction will get executed across multiple different stacks, multiple different chains. So it's over a step forward towards the account abstraction across all these different stacks. And so that's how we always uh, think about what are, how would developers interact with these things? Developers are not going to interact with the IBC. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. It's a low-level protocol. Yeah. Then developers are not going to interact with you know CGP, which is the kind of protocol that we built to interact with um, across different chains. Developers want much simpler APIs. They want much simpler um, experiences, right? And uh, and that's what we're building um, effectively through the stack. What? Where is the wallet sitting on this? Because you know, I usually mentioned the, the, the issue. One of the biggest issues in crypto is wallet fragmentation, asset fragmentation across yeah. the wallets. Like I've got like six different wallets. Yeah. And then on top of that, maybe like one on my phone that's not the same seed as the one on my computer. Like, yeah. I mean, where in, in this, you know, interchain future where you know, Axelar plays a, a significant role in allowing interoperability between different state machines. Um, where does the wallet sit? Does, it, does yeah. it sit on Axelar? I mean, like, do the tokens sit there or do they? Yeah, it's, not, it's unclear to me there. Yeah, so I think to me, like the the reason the wallets are very fragmented is because you did not have interoperability infrastructure to make a chain agnostic wallet, right? Yeah. Um, so I think now with Servaxel and a lot of the other interoperability stacks that have been built, you can actually build a wallet that sits you can define chain the one you sit it on, right? Yeah. If you want to sit it on Ethereum, great. You have a main maybe account on Ethereum, but that wallet can interact with its, you know, kind of a versions on other chains, right? So you can have smart contracts that are still representing your account, right? Through account abstraction paradigms, they can all talk to one another, and from a front end perspective, be displayed as one unified account for the user, right? Yeah. So I think uh, for me to instantiate these wallets, you effectively have that have to come down to two, again, layers that have to be built. One yeah. is this layer of kind of account or cross-chain contracts that represent your account across different ecosystems. And then wallet sort of that aggregates all of that in one way or another and just displays it in a uniform way for the user. And the user can submit transaction from any of these accounts and they actually function as one, right? Mm. So um, I think a lot of the wallet architecture is going to be rebuilt over the next few years, right? Um, you know, leveraging these paradigms. Yeah. What what role do you think things like MPC, uh, you know, will be in, how will MPC be integrated in, in, in this paradigm? Yeah. So, I mean, MPC, I guess, you know, for those that don't know, it's like multi-party computation protocols, right? You know, basically you can think of it as a kind of, a, you know, either a multi-sig, right? Or other yeah. types of threshold. At the, at threshold. the encryption layer, yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, uh, how do you manage all these different accounts? I think back to the account abstraction question. Um, and the way to manage it is by setting up multiple keys that could have different policies associated with them to execute these actions, mm. right? So, you know, if you want um, authorize your transaction from multiple devices, then certain MPC or uh, technology could come in to help you co-sign transaction across your phone, maybe your desktop, maybe like a ledger device. Mm. It's submitted as one transaction on chain, and then it gets uh, propagated. You could have a secondary policy on that, uh, you know, account through the MPC that deals with recovery, right? So if you lost your uh, cell phone, but you have two other devices, you want to be able to instantiate a new phone, so you can run through like yeah. MPC protocols to create another key 
um, or you know, you, if you lost two of your devices, maybe then you want to call I don't know some entity, right? Yeah. Or, or your friends that may have kind of an off-chain backup uh, kind of shards from this MPC protocol to help you recover. So so yeah, I think MPC is a server key management technique that you can use around these wallets to help instantiate them. And that, but that that could still work with, um, it, yeah, it could still work across different. Say, say state zones that are leveraging that are leveraging Axelar to ensure the token token compatibility across chains. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Something that came to mind now is um, yeah. So I, this, this is mostly built with Cosmosm. Yes, the the M itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a kind of a hybrid between Cosmosm and some on-chain consensus logic, right? So so far Axelar and a lot of its building blocks have been built kind of a by coding the interoperability functions at the consensus layer, right? Yeah. So you can use it as a, you know, there's a finality gadget, what we call, there's like a Nexus routing module that we're, that we have, there's like a multi-party signing module that we have. And so some of these building blocks actually need to be sort of composed with Cosmosm layer to enable interoperability to be extended further, right? And so it's a, it's a stack where certain functions from Cosmosm get will be extended to the consensus stack to enable for a better efficiency. So is, is it is the Axelar VM essentially like Cosmosm VM but modified with or? hooks with, with hooks with hooks to the underlying consensus layer. consensus? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Okay. Sorry. I'm just like <laughs> this is bringing up a lot of different a lot of different things. So um, this is a little bit what. Uh, Cosmosm VM is, is attempting to do, I think, to some extent, right? Like they're trying to abstract away all of the Cosmos module components and then have hooks into consensus directly. Uh, I mean, maybe this is I'm off, off topic a little bit, but uh, yeah. Um, and so, so developers build applications in Rust, like as they would on any other Cosmosm VM. Uh, that's right. Yeah, just okay. leveraging the hooks if you need to. Uh, okay. But but again, like yeah, the the, the role of the Axler VM. It's not that you build an application on top of it, right? Uh, it's there's actually two services. One is making connections, and the second one, you know, we haven't talked about it. It's what we call as an uh, interchain maestro to help you yeah. to help you deploy and manage your application across multiple chains. Right? Okay, so there's no SDK or anything like that. I mean, essentially, like you're you're providing contracts that people can leverage. We'll provide contracts. There is actually SDKs that have been built. So Cubist is one of you know our excellent partners that's building an SDK. On top of it, to make it even simpler uh, to, to to deploy and build those uh, kind of interchain native applications. So um, yeah, kind of the security itself and the management piece comes from the contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you know, you certainly always have usually an SDK to interact with those contracts on top yeah. of it and make it even simpler. Okay, so t tell me about this maestro, uh, which is kind of like Kubernetes for Web three. I think yeah, the way you describe it. Yeah, so one of the problems, uh, as I alluded to earlier, has been that developers don't actually spend a lot of time coding the application logic in the interchain. If you want, if they want to be deployed across five or ten different chains, they spend you know 70, 80 percent of their time managing their deployments. Yeah. Figuring out how do I put my contracts on this chain? How do I set up you know governance around it? What does my upgrade path look like? Yeah. Oh, let me get some gas to actually you know pay for this stuff. Oh, then I have to have a wallet. Let's back up this kind of a gas. And so, and then you repeat this process ten times across all the chains that you want to do. But it's the same process, yeah. right? Uh, and so, kind of the idea for the uh, master has been: well, how can we make it easier for the developers to actually, you know, deploy their interchain tokens across multiple chains or build their application, right? And so, again, it's going to be, you know, a set of uh, service contracts that are built on the Axel network 
you can think of them as deployment templates, right? That will help you take, you know, bytecode of your contract, set up its configuration, which chains you want to deploy them on. Do you want to have upgrade path for them? Do you want to have admin keys behind them? Do, how do you want governance uh, to look behind them so you can specify it in the configuration? And then it will just get, you know, pushed on all of these different chains. It will be automatically interoperable, so you don't have to think about how do you connect another, you know, um, Axler gateway, how do these contracts talk to one another, so it'll be all under the hood um, in terms of the orchestration setup. And, uh, yeah, the analogy that I make is sort of Kubernetes for Web2, yeah. been doing that where you, know, you write your template, how you want your application to be instantiated across different, you know, databases, application servers, uh, storage servers, and things like that. And then Kubernetes helps you manage and deploy that. Uh, and so in the same way, kind of the, the, the master will help you uh, deploy across different, uh, you know, Web3 stacks. Okay. So, again, coming back to an example, let's yeah. say you're Aave, yeah. right? Like Aave is on a bunch of different EVM chains. Maybe at some point they're on other uh, other e you know, execution environments. Yeah. Um, then they would, instead of having to manage all these deployments, they would have, they would use the Maestro, Axelar Maestro, right. to deploy this, their, right. you know, their contract sets across all these different chains. That's right. Um, does it also do trends? I mean, like, so if, if they were, if they were also doing it on, I say like a Cosmosm zone, yeah. they would also have to have a Cosmosm contract written. It, actually, it doesn't do the translation into a bytecode for the other execution um, environments. Yeah, so we don't, but actually, you know, SDKs like Cubist actually will help you with that, okay. right? So that you can write in a uniform like language, right? And from that no language, way. it will kind of serve a Cubist. Uh, Cubist, yeah. Cubist, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of a you know pretty pretty cool SDK that the guys are building, right? So that, that's the whole problem has been, you know, how do you create a uniform you know uh, application that can talk across multiple different um, you know virtual machine stacks, right? Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, so we don't, you know, we want to do that directly. We'll, we'll help you at the at the networking layer to translate the packets. If you have contracts that need to be deployed, you know, it's sort of a layer on top of it that, that you can build. And what chains are supported today for for deployments? Uh... Yeah, so um, right now it's uh, kind of the virtual machines going live on the DevNet, which supports you know all the chains on the DevNet environment, and then from there we'll kind of migrate to the testnet and mainnet from there and. You know, and we're available on all chains, right? It's, okay. it's, it's, it doesn't get deployed on one or the other. Effectively, everything that's supported by the Axler stack as it goes live it will be available. But you, you have launch partners. I mean, I know there was a bunch of launch partners that, um, yeah, that were. But this is just for the for the VM deployments, or yeah. So the launch partners uh, is specifically to help build connections across those ecosystems using the the amplifier technologies, right? Okay. So you know, like uh, Base, you know, like zk Sync, a bunch of uh, you know Stellar. Um, they all need to have connectivity, right? And so, kind of using the VM layer, that connectivity can be instantiated uh, simpler. Okay. And and you, I think there's template contracts also that are part of this this VM. Like, what are what are those contracts for? And like, what how can developers leverage them to simplify their workflow? Yeah. So depending on again, like the different product, right? So for the amplifier, those contracts would be like a universal sort of router contract. Right. Okay. So basically, once you build a connection from your chain to the Axler, again, you want to make sure that the packets can go to other chains already interconnected. Yeah. So you need to enroll with these like router contracts. Okay. So, router so this is like the, the router that routes those tokens. That's right. The that's right. Chains. Right. Okay. Tokens yeah. and messages. Right. So that's one example. Um, the second example would be like let's say you want to deploy your uh, cross-chain token, right? So yeah. it's a, maybe your C20 token. Uh, you want to set up 
I don't know, admin keys because you want to be able to kind of control, I don't know, supply of this token, right? Or be able to issue more of these tokens. Yeah. So you can go to the Axler, you know, template contract. You say, these are my admin keys. I want to deploy this contract on chain X, Y, and Z. You know, you invoke a transaction on it. It gets deployed there. The admin keys are set up there. And then, you know, when you need to, let's say, upgrade or execute a command, then you can, can come in, you know, sign a transaction. The admin keys, uh, I'll sign it. It gets kind of propagated and executed across the across the different chains. Okay. With with up, with things like upgradability, I can see where, um, like for instance, you know, there's some there's some Cosmos uh, contracts on, say, Juno, for instance, Cosmos contracts. They leverage uh, a DAO to do their contract upgrades. Mm -hmm. Because with, with a Cosmos awesome contract, sure. you can have like an admin key. They just use a DAO admin key, sure. and then the DAO decides um, how, how those contracts get updated. If you're managing multiple deployments across different chains, where would that governance happen? Like, how would you know? You could have the governance on one chain, but could you leverage uh, sort of a, a, a DAO key to, to manage this this uh, upgrade deployment through Axelar? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's one of the goals is that. Your, your management or your functions that authorize, you know, upgrades could be executed on like one place. Yeah. Right? And then you can propagate that information across uh, across other networks, right? Um, so, yeah. Okay. Do you guys have uh, like template contracts also to facilitate, say, you know, community voting on different, on different chains and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, we don't have those templates yet, but uh, one of the things we have done was actually opened up, you know, uh, a grants program, right? A $5 million nice. grants program to help developers build those template contracts, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll work with a lot of teams and uh, uh, to, to actually think about what are the functions that they want to uh, help, um, you know, managing across the different stacks. And we'll provide some funding and we'll work with the developers to, uh, to build this, uh, you know, kind of a Kubernetes in a decentralized way across yeah. the community. What, what kind of things do you hope to see, you know, the developer community be like, what, what's, what do you think is like the low hanging fruit that developers could be building? Anybody who's watching, you know? might want to get some of this grant money. Yeah, no, I mean, I think governance is actually, I think, is a pretty cool use case, right? There's yeah. been a lot of, like, talks recently about, like, swap governance, right, and how that has to happen and, uh, you know, what is the kind of upgrade paths there and things like that. Um, I think managing sort of NFTs is the other pretty interesting use case, primarily because there is no kind of NFT standard across different ecosystems. So, you know, everybody has, like, their own thing. People are trying to standardize a little bit, but it's still very, very early, mm. right? So figuring out, like, what is my... You know, interchain native NFT platform slash management needs to look like. I think is a pretty low hanging fruit as well. Mm, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's a it's a pretty neat stack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you guys think of MEV? Uh, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit last time, but is that you're thinking of all there? Um, yeah, I don't. I, I guess don't remember exactly what was my thinking uh, when this spoke last, but uh, I still believe probably consistently that MEV has to be solved at the edges. Edges meaning like at the application layer, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the the reality is that kind of with more and more chains, with more and more components, with more and more asynchronicity across all of these different components, if you want to have some type of order slash fairness, it it has to be solved as close to the application as possible. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, instantiating that at the edges is where I think it has to be done. Okay, so you don't think that. People will start building uh, contract templates to mitigate MEV at, at the Axelar level, or I mean, you can do that, right? Like, so because we have actually like a multi-party signing at the protocol layer, yeah. you can use like a multi-party, um, you know, kind of um, threshold encryption techniques, right? Uh, to 
know, encrypt blocks of data, you know, decrypt them in a in a um, in a consistent way across them. People want to do that. Like, sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, I the thing with cross-chain, maybe I think it's right now it's a great research problem, right? It's not something we have seen too much of. I think we're still at the phases where we're building out these interchain applications that actually have, you know good throughput, good user experiences, right, with significant volume, <laughs> where MEV is actually a problem. So we should continue doing research, I think, around those topics, right? I think we should continue building solutions over them. You know, do we need them, you know, tomorrow or next month? Probably not yet. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I also agree that you know, MEV probably needs to be solved closer to, to the edges. And right. also applications, you know, stand to benefit from solving that problem close to the edges where, you know, like value can flow back to users, et cetera. Right. Um, yeah. I wonder, is, is there, is there a future where, like, is there a future where Axelar is also providing, you know, some form of security guarantees to change? Like, I mean, this whole interchain security narrative, uh, or, you know, mesh security, no. uh, since you guys are going to be connected to all these chains and all these rollups, et cetera, like, yeah. Does that does that make sense, or is that something that you see as a long term vision? I mean, I think security is going to be more and more mixed, right, across different stacks. So you know, in Ethereum ecosystem, you have a lot of um, kind of eigenlayer types of approaches, right, that yeah. that use the Ethereum token for security and instantiate in certain applications. You know, within Cosmos, we have interchain like mesh security, right. I think those are kind of a general trends that we're seeing more and more of, where you know, one chain can borrow security, can lend security across from uh, from another. Things get a little bit complex there, frankly, for you know security and other things. So you have to be kind of a pretty delicate. Um, so maybe you know at some point we'll, I, we we have uh, kind of conversations with Osmosis, is right and a bunch of other folks to kind of both borrow and lend security across yeah. across um, you know these chains that provide value to each other in some sense. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see more of it. I think you know next year we're going to see the build outs of those technologies and we'll we'll kind of see them instantiated after that. Mm. Maybe I mean a related topic here, but you know, what's your um, you know how do you reason about you know all of the different types of execution environments that you know, developers have access to today, right? So I mean, if you want to build if you want to build something on a blockchain today, you want to build a DAP, you, you can go you can go the simplest route, which is like you can build a contract on you know any number of chains, and you can yeah. probably use Axelar to orchestrate all those contracts, and mm -hmm. you know, I mean actually you could. All, it could also maybe serve to scale yep. uh, smart contracts to yep. some extent because you're sort of spreading exactly. um, that 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 the block space across different chains. Yep. And then there's like a, of course the Celestia vision, which is you know decoupling consensus uh, from from the execution and settlement layers. And then you have like the Osmosis vision, which is like we're going to control every layer of the stack because right. the application right. uh, necessitates right. every layer of the stack being right. um, being controlled. And I, I sort of see that as a you know the the Amazons and the Googles of the world, right? They're building their own data centers. They, they're not going to be building on someone else's cloud. Uh, you know, how do you reason about which types of these configurations are better suited? Like, how should developers think about yeah. what to use if they're building yeah. an application? And you know, yeah. as a as an orchestration layer, yeah. are, are you guys also you know thinking about you know helping developers choose the right um, you know, being being sort of a, a steward there and helping developers choose the right type of of infrastructure, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great question. So I think one thing um, I think kind of for a developer as they're starting to build, right? You have to think about you know what are you building, 
what is your go-to market, right? And like, what is your user acquisition strategy? And like, what properties your application needs to have? So as an example, let's say you build in some kind of a sophisticated sort of financial primitive that has, you know, very interesting like liquidity properties. Okay. Uh, do you want to build your own app chain for that? Um, and I claim probably not. <laughs> if you experimented at the application layer logic and you don't know whether or not your application even has a product market fit, probably just want to, you know, take some contracts, you know, write them over a week, you know, deploy like on one chain or a couple of chains and see if anybody would even interact with those things, right? You have to think about your interchain strategy from day one, like how you want to scale from that. Um, but you want to kind of go to market as quickly as possible, right? And like you need to use the tools that will allow you to do that. Um, if you are building something where you know there is a product market fit, so decentralized exchanges, you know, we've, we've seen them, right? Like we know more liquidity, better UXs yeah. will lead to ultimately more um, scalability for these um, decentralized exchanges. Then you have to say, okay, what is my long-term future to provide then this kind of a extra level of services that my competitors would not be able to provide. And that maybe means building your own stack and controlling it from the ground up, right? Where you can control the full execution, you can have reliable kind of transaction fees and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I would say kind of a, for developer, the, the simple template you can follow say, okay, this is my application. Do I have a product market fit? If not, <laughs> find the easiest, the shortest path to go to market and like figure out if anybody is gonna use that. Yeah. If you're trying to kind of improve and innovate on the products that that have um, usage, um, then you want to think maybe about con controlling some parts of the stack or scaling to as many chains as possible kind mm. of from the get go, because those will be your differentiators, right? So you have to have those differentiators. Yeah. But I mean, in the long term, do you see Axelar having a significant role in just being sort of an entry point for like, say you're a new blockchain developer, you want to deploy your application, you know, to as many ecosystems as possible. You're going to come up with that, you know, you're going to start interacting with Axelar and then, um, you know, Axelar may also provide some tools that uh, helps deploy those applications to the right type of infrastructure. So right. like if it's like a, you know, rinky dink little, you know, right. DAP, you know, you might, you might just want to deploy a smart contract on Ethereum and all the EVM chains, right. but if it's something, you know, more complex, in the same way that you can use DigitalOcean today to like launch a WordPress site, just like in one click, you can also launch. You can also use it to launch like a Kubernetes cluster, and and, and like the interface helps you yeah. figure out yeah. you know what you need, and there's applications already there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Like I think that that that's reality, right? Like you're gonna have to go, and uh, you're gonna have to. Uh, yeah, you, you're gonna need a place where you can manage your application across multiple chains, right? And yeah. uh, potentially like through the sort of Kubernetes stack and like the tools that, and the templates that we're building, we'll, we'll be able to, to do that for the users. Cool. So yeah, before we wrap this up, what's uh, what's new, what's next on the roadmap? That is next on the roadmap <laughs> is kind of a building this sort of ecosystem, right? Working with a lot of developers to, to help think about what are the use cases, what are the template contracts they actually need, how to instantiate them. Uh, thinking about you know uh, protocols uh, across across the full stack. So yeah, cool. Well, thanks so much for doing awesome. this. It was really thanks fun. for having me. Really interesting, and uh, yeah, I look forward to being here again next year when you do this again. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks.